Well, this morning, it just, uh, God was revealing his word, and he always does this, obviously, in a very personal way. There can't be any real, true uh, preaching and teaching of the word unless there's an absolute experience of Christ in the individual. And that always involves counsel. It always involves a change of mind in growth and involves all of these things. But I wanted to start this morning just with our Lord and Savior and just to lay a background of his life and his humanity on the earth. But it's going to be a brief sketch and then we can get into it later in detail. We know in John 1 and verse 1, it, it states very clearly there, and that is, in one sense, we've said before, this is the oldest verse in the Bible. Because, again, in Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God created. But here, in John 1, verse 1, it's, in the beginning, the Word was, was God, the, the Word was, was God, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so it makes it very clear. But then we see... And at one of these points, too, also in the very near future, we want to get into those first 18 verses of the Gospel of John in the first chapter, which are incredible. But as we go through that in John 1 and verse 1, we see that he came he came into the world. And, and obviously, for him to do this, he had to put on humanity. And that's John 1 and verse 14. The original Greek brings it up very, very clearly and beautifully. He, the word tabernacled itself in this impeccable human nature. Again, Jesus Christ had a sin nature based upon Numbers 19, 1 and 2, and based upon Exodus 12, 1 and 13, and based upon Hebrews 4 and verse 15. The languages make it very clear. Languages of the Holy Spirit recorded through vessels that were men made it clear that he had a human nature, but he did not have a sin nature. Now, all of us obviously were born with that sin nature in Psalm 51, verses 4 and 5. And that sin nature from our first father, Adam, was passed on in Romans 5 and verse 12. But coming back to Jesus Christ, we see, we see the tremendous and incredible truth of John chapter 1 all the way up to verse 1, all the way up to 14 verse, and the word was made flesh. He never ceased to be the word. And now that he put on humanity, God will never cease to be God revealed through Jesus Christ in his humanity for all eternity. So we know that when God became a man, miracle of all miracles, triumph of all triumphs when god became a man he became a man forever in perfect identification and that's why we're never to identify ourselves once we are in christ in second corinthians 5 and verse 17 never outside of the perfection and completion of what love has accomplished in terms of our personal identity our personal image in christ so Christ came, the word was made flesh, and he dwelt among us. And that simply means that he labored just like us. He thirsted just like us. He, was, he would get exhausted. 
just like us, because he was learning, learning in this state to be make the captain of our salvation in Hebrews 5, 9, and 10, complete through the sufferings and the things that we would have to go through, only us in our fallen state, but him by choice, choosing this, of course, from first and foremost, to please the Father in John 8 and verse 29 and propitiation in John 22 and verse 8. And he always did those things to please him. He could do nothing of himself in John 5 and verse 30. That is in terms of his humanity. In terms of his humanity, he never relied on his humanity, ever. He relied on God, his Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only time that his deity in that humanity was, was operating was under the inspiration and power and direction of God the Father and the Holy Spirit, where he would perform his first miracles in John the second chapter, turning that, that water into wine, which speaks of just incredible, beautiful rest and satisfaction. But again, it says in John 1.18, no created being. It doesn't say no man like in certain translation, it's translations. It says that no created being, angel or man, ever has seen God in all his fullness. Only Jesus Christ, God the Son, in, in his deity, could put on humanity, come out and reveal him. Because no one obviously knew him and knows him like he does and of course, the way that we can know him is that now in Ephesians, the first chapter in those 23 verses, we are in Christ. But we always need to be led by the Holy Spirit, to be led by him in John 16, 13 and 14. We need to be constantly led. And that's what Jesus was saying. You need to have a yoke in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. And keep in mind, Jesus never needed a yoke. A yoke always speaks of restraint. He instantly and constantly fulfilled the will of God, the word of God, in constant, continual obedience without delay in John 4 and verse 34, accomplishing a work that only he could with the Father in him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is John 5 and verse 19. So ultimately, he would go to the cross and finish the work that was in the eternal mind of God in John 19:30, but was finished from before the foundation of the earth, but he had to come and reveal it. And this is in Hebrews 4 and verse 3. And he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth in Revelations 13 and verse 8. And God never saw in all their relationship for all eternity, as long as they've ever been, and they had no beginning and they'll have no end. Always saw his son as that lamb. Always the one who would do away with his uh, justice, which his love and justice there, not met. It can only, when you meet love, without justice having been met, you meet wrath. That's why it says in John 3 and verse 36, to us in Christ, the wrath does not abide. But to them that don't, it still abides because God can't be any than who he is in the clarity and perfection of his nature, character, and essence. This is what makes it so very vital for all of us and so very necessary and essential for us to get to know what God is like through Jesus Christ. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, when he is born, he is brought up in Nazareth in John 1 and verse 46. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was brought up in Nazareth, and Nazareth was the slum area of his day. It was the poorest area of his day. <laughs> the one who grew up the poorest and has made us in multitudes who would receive him rich beyond beyond any imagination, beyond anything for all eternities made us rich. And so Jesus grows up and we can see here, we see here when he enters into this world, I mean, even at the age of 12, and you'll see this in the gospels and you will see it in Matthew, Mark and in Luke and brought out very beautifully in, a, in, a, in, a, in one sense, a higher sense in the gospel of John. But as he grew in John, in Luke 1 and verse 72 to 39, he grew in his humanity. And as he was growing, God is preparing his precious son, his precious son. And he enters into a world. And oh boy, this is the world. And this is what John 1 verse 5 through 9 is bringing out beautifully. And please with, with us, and we'll all do this together, keep in mind that when it says in John 1 and verse 9, he's the light that lights every man. There was no light in man once he fell from Adam on. Not Quakerism, not the friends, nothing like that whatsoever. And so he, he's, and of course, in, in, in John 1 and verse 5, and, and the darkness doesn't overpower the light because this is the message. This is the message for all of us in the most intense and personal and intimate way. In John, in 1 John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 5. But verse 5 says, this is the message then, that in him is light and no darkness whatsoever. So as Jesus grows in his humanity, he's growing. And again, Luke, the first chapter, brings this out. In following chapters, when he was at 12 years of age, answering the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes, and what are called those legalistic Sabbatarians, Sabbath work, doing works, and being enemies of Christ and his grace and truth, outright enemies, and knowing it's the truth, but still outright enemies and hatred and malice towards him. At the age of 12, he's, he's speaking to them, and they are astonished that a 12-year-old would have this kind of knowledge and experience. But he grows. He comes into a world, and it is a world. What is the world like? It is a world, and we know this based upon uh, in, in Genesis 6 and verse 11, and we know it again. In Matthew 24 and verse 37, it is a world of violence and greedy lust. This is brought out in Genesis, the fourth chapter, verses 16, right to verse 24. Violence and greedy lust. And the thing about it that God would have us to know is those that are in Christ. Yes, we have the flesh in us. In Romans 8, 9, but we're not of it. And he needs to remind us again, and he will be faithful to do so. 
and loving chastisement and in grace and knowledge and experiential growth in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. He will remind us that the flesh in us is not a speck any better or different than the unsaved. And that's the veil, truly, that is over the beauty of Christ in us. We see that again in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 to the end of that chapter. And those particular verses, especially through the 18th verse. He enters into this world of violence and greedy lust. He came in. He entered in. When he put on, when he tabernacled his humanity, he was born in that 14-year-old peasant girl, Luke 1, verse 35. He entered into all the stages of growth that had an effect on him without a sin nature, but had its effect in terms of its violence. Who was more hated? Who was more sought after to be killed than he? We see that in the prophecy and truth in Isaiah 53 in those 12 verses. We see it very, very clearly. Yet his heart was loved. Every heartbeat was loved. Even to those that considered him to be his adversary. Well, he entered into a world of violence and greedy lust. Sin and misery. Hatred against the very love of God manifested in him, in his impeccable, not liable, not capable of sinning humanity. He entered into a world of iniquity, the world of iniquity as a result of the angelic in Ezekiel, the 28th chapter. And you can see in verse 15 to the, to the, uh, to the end of the 19th and 20th chapter where Satan, where Satan, Created by God, by the pre-incarnate Christ created him. We know that the pre-incarnate Christ, one who created all things, of course, never independent. You can't separate deity from deity, of course. But it was the Son who created everything in John 1, 3. Created everything in Colossians 1 and verse 16. Yet never apart from his Father or apart from the Holy Spirit can't separate deity from deity. Can't be counterfeited. Cannot be counterfeited. Otherwise, outside of Christ, it will be counterfeited. And boy, the unsaved will do that. And the flesh that's in us that we're not of in Romans 8 9 will do the exact same but without a question about it. So he enters into this world, and that world entered into Adam and Eve in Genesis, the third chapter, verses 1 through 6. That world where Satan is tailing. In, in Revelation 12, in verse 3, it drew a third of the stars of heaven. That's the angelic innumerable. That is bringing out Isaiah 14, 7 to 17. And it is bringing out Ezekiel 28 and verse 50. But that entered into the garden in Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Then it became a world system. And that world system is brought out. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 16 to 24, Cain went out from the presence of God. That's what they unsay. They live outside the presence of God. Where does the flesh in us that we're not of live? Outside of the presence of God. Furthermore, <laughs> furthermore, in a way of hatred, just like the world. The scriptures make it clear in Romans 8, 7, the flesh that's in us that we're not of, has a strong, settled feeling of 
hatred, thoughts and feelings, and total resistance against God. Against him continually. This is our growth. Who would do that but God? Who would do all of this but God through his son by the power of the Holy Spirit? So he entered into this world of iniquity. Satan is the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Meaning he's the religious God of his world of that world. That's what 2 Corinthians 4, 4 brings out in the original. He's the religious God of this world. Did Cain have religion? He did. You see it in Genesis 4, 16 to 24. He had his religion. You see, this is the world. All the way up to that point, 4,000 years into the future, from Genesis, the third chapter, and the 15th verse, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. This would be Calvary. All the way up until that brings out John 1, verse 14, and Luke 1, and verse 35. He put on humanity and entered into the stages of growth of a babe, a young man, and a spiritual dad. Those periods of growth that we go through, but never without him being in him, in, in 1 John 2, 12 to 14. In all those periods of growth, he entered into this world of iniquity. He entered into this world of sin and sorrow, a sin-sick world he entered into. He entered into it, sin, which is the root of all evil. It is the root of all evil, you see. And, and he came to deliver. He's delivered us in Christ and continues to do so experientially based upon our position. But he still desires the salvation to deliver multitudes Multitudes who are our slaves to Satan in a world of sin and bondage. This is brought out in John 8 and verse 34. If you sin, it reveals you're a slave to bondage. And thank God we're not our sin any longer in Romans 7, 17 and Romans 7 and verse 20 in Christ Jesus. But he came into this world to free the slaves, all of those that were slaves. This is again brought out in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25. You see, we need the teaching and preaching of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit without any flesh involved. That's why it says gentle and apt to teach. Gentle there, it's Christ himself through the power of the Holy Spirit in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24. And then it's skill. And if there's not the gentleness, which speaks of the yoke for the flesh to keep that from coming out, but only Christ from coming out, then you have skill. And it means you and I may have a gift to preach and teach. But unless we're submitted to the head, Christ, in Ephesians 4 eight, we no longer function. We no longer speak the truth in love in Ephesians 4 and verse 15. And thereby we cease to be a joint that supplies in Ephesians 4 and verse 16. So he entered into this world of sin and hatred, and outright disobedience toward God under evil power, rushing at once. Do you see what the enemy does? Causing multitude of his slaves to rush under his evil power, rushing at once to its own destruction. Hmm. So because the thief came to steal, to kill, and destroy in John 10, 10a. But Christ said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And so we see that very clearly. And that's why in Psalm 107 and verse 20, it says he sent his word. Oh God, that's our savior. 
our precious Savior. He sent his word and he healed them. And he delivered them from all their destructions. Do you see even the enemy with his evil hatred? Using slaves to manifest his hatred toward God, toward his Christ, toward his Holy Spirit, towards those that are Christ. Hatred and in finality in his insane hatred. In Revelation 12, 12, it says, he comes down in great wrath. And by the way, we will not be there. We will be in heaven in Revelation 4 and verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. And 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, we will not be there. But he comes down in great wrath, knowing that he has but a short time. When you understand that and read it in the original, he even turns on those that he used to serve his hatred. He's so insane that he knows that he has but a short time. Boy, the time is short right now. And many are rushing on, rushing on to their ultimate destruction, to their ultimate destruction. But here we see Jesus. We see Jesus as he enters in, as he enters in here into a world. What is this world like? Well, you see it. In Genesis 4, 16 to 24, they have their entertainment. They have their ease. They have their comfortability. They have their religion. But don't bring in a bloody cross. Don't bring in a bloody savior. Sacrifice. No, you don't need sacrifice. Just like Cain, who was operating under Satan, brought, the, brought a cursed, something cursed from the ground. Nothing special when Abel brought the first, firstlings, number one, firstlings. This speaks of propitiation here. Firstling to God, recognizing propitiation that was satisfied, forgive us substitute whereby multitudes could be reconciled. This happened, and this is what Abel did. And then it says not only the firstlings, but to God that he gave, but the fat, the very best that he could give to God. And that was emblematic and a type of Jesus Christ, the very best. That's all, that's all we have. No wonder it says in 1 John 4, 10, here in this love, not that we loved him, but that he sent his son to be the propitiation for us. And now we have the privilege in 1 John 4 and verse 19 to love because he first loved us. And in Revelations 2 and verse 4, that's what happened to the church at Ephesus, which had such incredible Ephesus, Ephesian truth in the epistle of Ephesians, but ultimately would give in to the flesh. And that would be the veil. And then another authority would come in. And the only authority of the flesh outside of Christ is Satan. It is evil. It's an evil power. It's evil. So Jesus enters into the world and, and grows in all the stages of growth. He enters into a world now. And you can see it. A world of philosophy. It's so interesting, even that word philosophy, what it means. It's from the Greek word philos, which means loving. And sophos, which means wise. But only in the most perverted sense. There is no love outside of who God is, and thereby there's no wisdom. 
And when you don't have that, you have no power because that is Christ in 1 Corinthians 1 and 24. Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. And we are kept, you and I, in Christ as his own in this world system as we pass through as strangers in 1 Peter 2.11. We are kept in 1 Peter 1.5 by the power. And that power is Christ himself. And so here he is. And here is this world of philosophy that he enters in. It's been going on. And it had been going on for 4,000 years. Then Jesus, in the fullness of time, in Galatians 4, verse 1, was born of a woman under the law to redeem us that were under it. 4,000 years into the future. You see, the promise in Genesis 3 and verse 15 was never given to fallen Adam and Eve. There's nothing promised to the there's no promises to be experienced. That promise was given to Christ because he would be the only one that would fulfill it. And then 4,000 years into the future, he came, he put on tabernacle of humanity and sees a world of so-called philosophy. One who was formed in philosophy. That's what it means to be a philosopher in the Greek. And, and then we know in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 5, they have a form of godliness. But they deny the power thereof. From such, you turn away the power. Because Christ is the only power. There is no other power. There's only a lie. Furthermore, for us, Christ has delivered us in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. And in Hebrews 9, 12 to 14, he's delivered us from the power of the enemy. So the only power he has now is his methodia. In Ephesians 6 and verse 11, his methodia, which is his lies. His thought force, his false reasonings, the, the high things, those strongholds. When it says, and we'll get into these things, I believe, in the future here in greater detail. But in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, it's a, it says the weapons of our warfare, us and Christ and earth, they don't have anything to do with carnality, the flesh battling. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. To the pulling down of a stronghold. What's the stronghold? I'll tell you what it is. And because God told me. It's the flesh. It is the flesh. So Jesus enters into this world. And he is growing. And can you see? He grew up in Nazareth. He lived close. Jesus lived close to the place. Where the great forces of worldly ideas. You see? Satan. The world. The prince of this world in John 12 and verse 31. The prince of this world system in John 14, 30. That Christ has nothing about him, in him, or of him in John 17 and verse 14. And for us in John 17 and verse 16 is nothing of the world. But he is watching and learning and growing and increasing in wisdom and stature. In Luke 1 and verse 78 to 79. And he's growing and he lives in this place, where in Nazareth, where he sees the great forces under Satan of worldly ideas and methods, where they passed and repassed. And what did he see in his young, we can say it so reverently, without an ounce of familiarity, in his young boyhood, he sees the great world powers, so-called great world powers, pass along the road at the foot of the hill, who does he see? He sees the Hebrew priest. The Hebrew priest. 
his hated enemies. They said, not this man. In John 18, 40, when he reached the age of his, his, his full maturity at the age of 30, ready to go forth. And for 30 years, he lived in obscurity. So if you want to know what your life is like right now and God is preparing you, well, you live. as a, And we have a sin nature of flesh that he has to deal with. He lived in 30 years of obscurity in a slum area till he reached his 30 years. And we see the fullness of it in, in Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And he, we see his three and a half year public ministry where they recognized him. And they said in hatred, recognizing that he was a God, by the way, knowing it and hating him. In John 18, 40, they said, not this man. Furthermore, they all said, the religious crowd, they said in, in John 19 and verse 15, crucify him, murder him. Get rid of him, just like Cain tried to, by getting rid of the manifestation of Christ with his brother Abel. Then went out from the presence of God, and he built the whole city, a world system, in John 4, in Genesis 4 and verse 17. So he, he sees the Hebrew priest. He sees the philosopher. He sees the religionist. He sees the Roman soldier. He sees the man, the man of power. And supposed government, he sees the Greek merchant, where everything's about money, and the traveler, the traveler like like Cain entered into the into Nod. Nod there in Genesis four sixteen down through twenty four. Nod means a wanderer, and that's all that we can do when we don't submit to Christ. We wander in the flesh, the insatiability, never satisfied flesh, yet. Missing the treasure where all our satisfaction is, is located because of the finished work of Christ in us. And he's the true treasure in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 in, in us. And so he sees them. And he sees the man of supposed culture and merchandise. And that's why, finally, finally, when you see the message, it is repent. Repent. We'll get into this in a greater way in the very near future. We will get into it. Again, the preaching of it is repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. He was preaching to the Jews. Please keep in mind, he wasn't going to the other nations. He was going to the Jews in Matthew 15 and verse 24. It's brought out clearly because he was teaching the kingdom, offering to them. The kingdom at that time, because the kingdom in Luke 17, 20 and 21, they kept, he, he would tell the Pharisees and scribes and scenes and, and Sadducees, he would tell them the kingdom doesn't come with observation. There's nothing that you can do or prepare for it to come. It's within. And he was saying the kingdom was within him. Right now, the kingdom is there. Proper rule, proper authority, proper power, the authority of his love. And his power and his wisdom. So the first note of his preaching, and it was born, it became born of a consciousness of the need of all those people groups that he saw. First is the outcome of his own personal and individual observation of them. He's learning. He's learning in Hebrews 2.10. He's learning in the humanity. Can't constantly... Continuous obedience in Hebrews 5, 7 through 10, constantly learning. 
and he's seeing it through observation. And the Son of God, the Son of God in and through the Son of Man has seen all of human history. He's seen it all. And the message of that ordained messenger, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God clothed in humanity, that he might utter in a world of only human fallen speech, the absolute truth about the nature, character, and essence of God and what he's truly like. And that's when he came and when he said to repent. Oh, and I love this. I can't tell you how many times I've said, in the ignorance of the flesh, not functioning in Christ, when I fail, I say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. Now, there is a godly sorrow in 2 Corinthians 7.10. There is a godly sorrow, but it's never with regret. But there is a worldly sorrow. And when I function in the flesh, not understanding the truth and submission of the will, I am sorry. Sorry doesn't have anything to do with repentance. Repentance has to do with that Greek word, meto, meta noea, a change of mind. A change of mind to change their mental attitudes, thought life, and conduct in their fallen character, which none can do apart from Jesus Christ. There's one mediator. Job was learning this. As he cried out for it in Job 9 and verse 33, he said, I wish there was, there was someone, really what he was saying, I wish there was someone who could be God and human, because then he could touch my humanity, and then he could touch God, and he would be the mediator between us. And this is brought out in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, this one mediator between God and men. It is the man, the man, Christ Jesus no other. We don't need a go-between. We don't need a Hebrew priest. We don't need a Roman Catholic priest. We need no other go-between than Jesus Christ himself. Because if, if it's not that, then the flesh seeks for itself. And when it can't find it, it seeks for itself in another. Constantly. To make someone else something other than who Jesus Christ is in the experience. And this is, this is even the flesh. That we're not of in Romans 8 and verse 9. It never means sorrow. It just means an absolute change in character. <clears throat> and then the conduct becomes equal with it. True character. To the separation uh, process of being sanctified in John 17, 17. And being separated in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. The soul from the spirit. And not functioning just as a self-conscious being trying to figure things out, trying to make sense of God's plan, which has nothing to do with the natural. It is supernatural. It is the supernatural mind of Christ. And that's why we know in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 16, that's the reality. We have the mind of Christ. The flesh, the carnal mind receives not the things of God, the foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. It's the Holy Spirit takes the power of Christ and makes it a living, life-giving force in us. And this is brought out in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. But you see, and here's what happened with, with a lot of bad teaching, a lot of bad teaching in Catholicism and so forth, because they will use the Vulgate translation of the original 
Koine Greek New Testament. And they use it. They use their Douay Rheims version of the scriptures, which adds the all kinds of wrong things that don't belong in the full canon of scriptures. They, they add the apocalypse into it, which has nothing to do with the mind of Christ. It's just the mind of man minus Christ. And so they use that Vulgate interpretation. And you know what it says there? Do penance. You have to do something. Where did, do, where did we think this came from? This is way back when he was teaching his Jews that he liberated from the captivity of Egypt. We see in Exodus 13 and 14, we see that crystal clear. And so he led them and he constantly had to teach them in, in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 1. Okay, do this and live. Why did he say that to them? Because you know what they said? They said to him, when the word was given, they said, tell us what to do. And in Exodus 19, verse 8, and Exodus 24, and verse 3, they said, tell us what to do, and we'll do it. And you see, in an unsaved state, or in a fleshly state, as a Christian, tell us what to do. You see all that teaching? Tell us what to do, and we'll do it. We know, based upon that, in, in Romans uh, chapter 7, and we can see that. Look at Romans chapter 7. I want to get into that for myself and for all of us together in those first 24 verses. Finally coming out of that, and that's experience. That's the flesh that's in the Christian that they're not of. And the only cry of that is not help me in Romans 7, 24. It is not help me out of this world of sin and misery and iniquity and hatred toward you. No. It's not, it's who will deliver me and who has. And this is the reality of positional truth. And hopefully to enter into the experience through grace and knowledge. And then the cry is, I thank God through Jesus Christ. In, in Romans 7 and verse 25. And then it opens up again. In our growth, in every area. In Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now, because of it, no condemnation. No guilt involved to them that are in Christ. Because guilt is the unbearable burden. The flesh tries to deal with what's already been dealt with through a lie, through penance, through works, and never can change and never be satisfied. And so do penance. We know in Romans 7, 12, right through to the end. All the flesh experiences is I know what I should do, but I can't do it. I know I should do the things that are right, but I don't. I do the things that are wrong, even knowing it. And you know what? He doesn't want our help, doesn't need our help, because it would only be the flesh. He doesn't need us. We need Christ. And then he never removes his eye from who we are in Job 36 and verse 7. Christ, who is the fullness of the very righteousness the very righteousness, the very integrity of God Almighty and his holiness and his love and justice met fully. That's what it means to be righteous, to be in a right standing. And this is brought up in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And so that, that's what it is there, brought out very clearly. And so we even see this, and we, we, we will see this further as we have these times together. And I, I treasure these times together, and they're extremely very important for me personally, for me personally, and I believe for all of us.
And we're going to see some beautiful things here in, in the word of God here. But even brought out here, even brought out here, we see this very, very clearly here. We see it clearly that God is after those to receive Jesus Christ. The call of the evangelists in Ephesians 4, verse 11. There are no more apostles, New Testament apostles. There are no more prophets, New Testament prophets, but only evangelists and pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers. And what would a pastor teach? Teacher teach. What would an evangelist be able to teach effectively? That he knows that they knew, and they know, and we know that God is after the inner man, not the outward show. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Not the outward show, but the inner man. That's what he's after. Saved and then in growth. The flesh that's in us. And he has to tell us. And he constantly counsels. When I function in the flesh. When me, Ed, when I function in the flesh. And when any of us do. He, the Holy Spirit comes in. Who takes the things of Christ and shows them unto us in John 16, 13, and 14, and in 1 John 2, verse 27, based upon the fact that we have the Holy Spirit in us in 1 John 2, 20, and that we are sealed by him in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 22, and in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 5, and in Ephesians 1, 13, and 14, we are sealed, which means we are owned by God. We're no longer our own. Thank God. And when we think we are our own, that's when the flesh comes in. And the enemy activates it. He activates it. To bring us to a destructive experience. Because he knows he can't change the position. It's unchangeable. He knows that whatsoever God does, he does forever in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 14. And he knows that sin can't even touch. Sin doesn't touch our position in 1 John 5, 18, but it affects our fellowship with him, our experiential intimacy with him. Oh, what would we trade? What would I trade? What could we trade in the flesh for our experience of intimacy, lack of dependence? And this is what he has to say when he deals with areas of my flesh. He says, just like in your unsafe life and your thoughts are wrong, they're wrong. Your, con your conception of what life is, is wrong. You need to have a change in your mind. Now, we had a once and for all change. Yes. Yes, we did when we received Christ. We had a once and for all change. But now there's many conversions. And that's what he was telling Peter. This is how he even uses what the enemy would mean for evil against us in Genesis 50 and verse 20. God means it for good. And he had to tell Peter, and he tells all of us. None of us are any different than Peter. In Luke 22, 31, Simon, Simon, Ed, Ed, whatever your name is, Satan has desired you that he may sift you violently in his sin. He, he, he wants you. And I've allowed it. He wants to violently shake you. But I, and Jesus Christ is doing this right now in his intercessory session of, of interceding and praying for us. Romans 8, 34, in Hebrews 7, 25, and in Hebrews 9, verse 24. He's praying, but, but Peter, but Ed, 
But whoever you are in Christ, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. You will fail, but your faith, your dependence in me will never fail. It can't fail. It's finished. It's done. And when you're converted, which is growing in grace in 2 Peter 3.18, we'll get into these, these specific Greek words in the future. But when you're converted, now you will strengthen the brethren because now it's grace. It's all grace. It's not performance-based. No, God never ties his love to our performance. This is foundational, primary security. And as we begin to close this morning, and we can see this, when he says you need to change your mind, because when you function in the flesh, you hold wrong views at the very center of what you think is your being. And it's no longer what it is. It's your deepest conception. You see, do you see when he led over 2.4 million men, just men, out of the bondage of Egypt, which is the world system, out of the power from under the power of Pharaoh, a type of Satan, he took them out. He took them out. But it, he took them out in terms of salvation. This is brought out again in, in the Red Sea. But before the Red Sea, it's the Passover lamb and the Red Sea that's Christ dying for us. That's what those reveal very clearly in the scriptures. And so he does this separating, sanctifying uh, process, whereby in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, eh, the weapons of your warfare don't have a thing to do with your flesh, trying to do, thinking you can do a thing, because your whole world is wrong because the flesh, just like the unsaved, function under it, even though we're not of it. And he doesn't treat us after it, but he lovingly, in Hebrews 12, 4 to 29, lovingly in Proverbs 3, uh, 11 and 12, chastens us because of his great love for us. And, and he wants that love to be completed in us experientially in 1 John 4, 17, because we're like his son. And love is completed about us. And if it hasn't experientially in, in John 4, 1 John 4 and verse 18, then, then what do we function in? Fear. And what is fear? What is fear? This phobos, this lie. What does this fear bring to? It brings kalasis. What is that? Torture, torment. He torments us. The enemy wants to torment us through the flesh. Make us relive guilt that's been dealt with. Relive sins that have been dealt with. To reliving. And so as we close this morning, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of a stronghold. What's a stronghold? The areas of the flesh. Any area that I go back to, we're held strong. We're not our own experientially. And he, the enemy wants to convince us in the flesh that he doesn't own us, we own ourselves, but really he's the liar that seeks to control. And this is where he can use the flesh in the individual that's untaught in 2 Corinthians 2.24. And untaught to cause that flesh that's in the believer that we're not of in Romans 8, 9, to, to cause us to oppose ourselves because God is so for us. And Psalm 56 and verse 9 brought out again in Romans 8.31 to 39. If you, 
if you can't condemn me any longer, if you can't make me be guilty any longer because of Christ in Romans 8, 1, then you can't separate me in Romans 8, 35 to 39. But you see, we have these strongholds. And we need to cast down these reasonings, fleshly reasonings, thoughts that come from the enemy, from, from every, and, and be delivered from every high thing, hopes are in the air, the enemy, the enemy, to, to cast it down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? The knowledge of God is he is his love has been completed and fulfilled about us. Nothing can replace it. Nothing replaces it. And so this is what he brings out here again, that this is, this is the very center of the flesh that he needs to deal with. It's the deepest conception that we have. Listen, it's the underlying, the enemy, very covertly, underlying and overmastering thing that we absolutely believe, but it's a lie. The flesh that's in us that we're not of. And it's that thing. It's that thing that brings the problem. It's that thing that brings the struggle. It is that thing in James 4, 1 to 4. That thing, it's the it's that the thing is the unsaved, but the thing is the flesh that's in the Christian, but not of it. But he will use that flesh to keep us humble, to show us in humility, not to crush us, but so that we can turn from it and receive grace in James 4, 6, and 1 Peter 5, and verse 6. It is that thing. It is the flesh, the flesh. There's, and again, not one speck of our flesh is any better than any unsaved worst person that ever existed. Not one. It's not any better. That thing is the subtlety where Satan enters in through the flesh of a wrong experience that hasn't, doesn't have a thing to do with, with our, our proper character in 1 John 1, 7. So the message there of course, for salvation was to repent. Change of direction. It's the indication of what the change is to be. It's to change your mind about God in an unsafe state. But we need to do it now and through the instruction of the word about the flesh. Change your mind about God, fleshly. You see this in Romans, and I see it with you in Romans 8, 4 to 8. That fleshly mind. That fleshly mind, again, brought out in Galatians 5 and verse 17 to bring about all that the garbage of 5, 19 to 21 in Galatians to keep out 22 and 23, the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the proper experience because we refuse to be led by the Spirit, and that's Galatians 5 and verse 18. See, we can't lead ourselves. We need to be led constantly. And as we close here, we see that. We see that. Change your mind toward God. What? In an unsafe state, the enemy caused God to be exiled from us. What do we suppose he is in the flesh? He's exiled. And God, God came through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to enthrone him positionally in salvation, but now experientially enthrone him. And he calls us from, from godlessness that we aren't in the flesh. 
to a place of, of godliness where there's only contentment. No contentment in the flesh. We see this in Isaiah 57, 19 to 21. There's no contentment in the flesh. But godliness in 1 Timothy 6, this with contentment, always great gain because we've, we've gained Jesus Christ, our precious Savior. And in doing so, we have a Father and now a God over us. In, in John 20 and verse 17, and now we can cry out to him. Father, Daddy, Father, Father, Daddy. In Romans 8 and verse 15, based upon the Holy Spirit in us in 16. And in Galatians 4, 6 and 7. And thank God, now he, he enthrones us again experientially. And that's Colossians 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Oikidomio, let it find a home in you. Let him be at home in you, your place of rest. Let it be that way. And he speaks the word into us. In the future, we're going to get into certain words in the original to bring out the clarity of everything about who Christ is in us and who we are in him. And uh, Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you and praise you for the beauty of your truth as we grow in this together and have the privilege to do it together. And we just thank you and praise you, Lord. Thank you so much for this truth. We just, we, we just, and we love you, Lord, because you so loved us and you so still love us and you never change your mind about your love for us. It is immutable, unchangeable. It is finished. We are a finished product in Christ. And we just thank you and praise you for this beautiful, proper image that each of us have. And we'll have the privilege to share with, with Jesus personally for all eternity in Revelations 2.17. And thereby have it with each other in eternity in heaven for all eternity. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's any time for any questions or comments uh, at this time, we can have those now. And uh, if not, then we can continue this in, in, in other times. This God so desires <laughs> to do. The way you started off and then the way you finished was... Um, This is so simple, but so profound. You know, you, you said that nothing, nothing should replace the intimacy, right? Mm. But you said the result of the intimacy will be a change of mind. The experience result, yes. Because it's finished positionally. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah. Phew. There's a lot, you know, and uh, there's, there's a lot there too. Believe me, it's like, whoa, <laughs> I'm with you. It's a lot. But I just think, in this sense, I honestly believe this. He's giving a lot because he knows that he can store it up in us. And he knows that, honestly, even if we don't believe it, that we can handle it because the time is very short. Time is extremely short. Does anyone else have a question, comment? 
Yeah, I like what you said about repentance. Just the clarity on that, you know. Yeah, the, uh, in a later time, a later time, not today, because it because it, it involves a little bit. But there's three words. There's three Greek Greek words that make up that word repent. And you know, God would have us understand it too. But I think He He gave us more. He gave us more. When I say us, I mean. <clears throat> He gave us more than enough to chew on for a while, I'll tell you. But, boy, he has so much for us in these last days. And, he, and that's what I believe, too, for all of us, but specifically for men, I believe, that have the gift of passivity, this stuff, this stuff, yeah, this beauty, this truth for us individually, and then to have it flow through us to others. Because, really, the time is really very, very short. Yeah, the part that you shared on, like, the mind being changed, repentance, you know, it's just, I don't have any questions, I don't have anything to add, it was just awesome, you know, that's where my thoughts and, you know, heart's been the last while. Yeah, I'm I'm going on it with you, I'll tell you that right now. Mm -hmm. I am, believe me, oh boy, none of us do anything. Any stage of our growth, don't anything without him. Amen. It's it's Steve. He's texting. Steve. He said, "Being sorry, having nothing to do with repentance, is amazing." Yeah. Growth. Oh yeah. yeah. Amen, Steve brother. Said that. No, I can't tell you how many times I say that, and it's yep. wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah. So what to do with it? Sorry just means it's the flesh, and there's no change. Yeah. Mm. Uh, no experience. Woo! Let's park it there for a minute. Woo! Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. That is what it is. Maybe that's amazing. Times when we grew up, you know, like doing the bad things we knew we shouldn't do, we did them anyway. We would. I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a sorry for yourself for getting caught. Yeah. <laughs> That's like you're gonna do it again in the next hour when you get a chance. Like yeah, a little kid. Oops. Steve <laughs> just gave a big amen to that. <laughs> That's awesome. Very good. It's very humbling, right? To be in this place going like this. Mm. Good place though, but it's very humbling. He's got a specific place. He deals with each of us, you know. Mm. Anyway, I guess if there's nothing else, maybe someone can close in prayer. Father God, thank you for the word that you have for us. We're just so thankful to be so covered and protected in your love. And that you graciously give us opportunities to receive your word. How it just breaks down everything that we're not and sets us free so we can just continue to experience more and more of you. Amen. Father, we want to walk with you every minute of today. Pray that you would just go with us from here. Give us yeah. your thoughts. 
Yes, Lord. Your wisdom, your mind for the day. In your name, amen.